In this episode, grab your utility belt, put on your cowl, and jump in the tumbler with us as we take a look back at what would be the first of many reboots of the Batman franchise, Batman Begins. Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome to the 3324 Podcast. If you're new, we appreciate you checking us out. If you're a current listener, thank you so much. We want everybody to do us a favor, if you would. And if you can follow us on your favorite podcast provider, that would be awesome. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, a review and a rating would be stellar. It would it would be absolutely it would be interstellar. <laughs> absolutely, ah, yeah, like yeah. that, huh? Uh, okay, yeah, okay. No, no one referenced. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> so we we have a uh, our third our third special guest with us. And, and it is a, uh, I'm happy to say a, a dear friend, uh, someone that I've had the honor and privilege to uh, not only see perform, he's a multi-hyphenate, first of all. Let's, let's do the multi-hyphenate. Writer, director, actor, blogger. That's like in the park home run, that's hitting all the bases. And it's, and it's Nick Leshy is with us. Um, Nick also... Uh, has he does have a blog and it's a pulp culture blog called City of Kick. We're going to put a, a link in the show notes to that, so definitely check that out. He talks about all types of entertainment, television, film, uh, really great reads. And then also, he's going to be soon to be seen on the YouTube web series called Multiverse Corporation. So we will drop both of those links into the show notes. And with that big, big, big run up, Nick Lesh, how are you? How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing well. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Eric. Very good to be here. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. <clears throat> was that was was that like you. an introduction, like bar none? That was stellar. I wish I got introductions like that all the time. Everywhere I go, <laughs> a multi-hyphenate. That's that's ambition right there. Uh, Something I would look to look forward to being. So thank you. Yeah, you have achieved it. Yes, yes. Nick has has written plays. He has directed plays. Uh, he has starred in plays, and he has, uh, like I said, has I've had the opportunity to work with Nick also uh, directing short films, and he was uh, gracious enough, uh, much like Sean Grady, our our other uh, friend of the show, to read what I had written and said, you know what, I'll I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> Very nice. No, I'm loving your your podcast so far, so I really appreciate you inviting me, and I look forward to this conversation because. Being a movie fan first, that's really what got me into entertainment, got me into writing, got me into acting and comic books. That sparked my imagination. And um, so what better topic than what we're going to talk about today? Absolutely. Which Great. is Batman Begins, which, as I said in the uh, in the open, is the it's the first reboot. And it will be the first of, of a few reboots, 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 <laughs> first of many reboots, uh, especially most recently. They're on they're on with Batman. They're on like a reboot frenzy. Uh, DC in general. I think the whole whole universe is like multi universes going on. I don't have I don't get it. I don't understand it. But perhaps perhaps, Nick, you could explain it better <laughs> with this. Uh, you I know, mean, what do you feel? How do you feel about all this rebooting? You know, I, I remember Adam West. So when Tim Burton did his first film, to me, that was kind of a reboot. 
because I was always as a kid, I loved Adam West. But Adam West, that whole 1960s Batman series was so different from the comic books. It seems like that's the face that was like always able to be recast. You know, they had Val Kilmer, then they had George Clooney. So was this really the first reboot? I don't know. You know, even though the the Joel Schumacher Batman movies kind of fit into that original universe because they still had the same guy playing Alfred, the same guy playing, you know, Commissioner Gordon. It was a reboot. It it didn't feel the same because it was a different Batman. So, yeah, I I consider consider all the Burton stuff. I consider the Burton stuff and and the three movies that followed kind of one thought because they they got into the whole recasting thing. But those are like a they're a cluster of films like those four. Right. Would you agree? Absolutely. Right. But like you were saying now, so, now they're, they're they've got Ben Affleck. They're coming out with the Batman. Right. They've got the T, you know, the Titans had a, somebody playing Bruce Wayne and Batman and that yeah. one. It, it's it's kind of like they're throwing everything in and they're playing up the multiverse. Marvel's doing the same thing. You know, the different Spider-Man and we'll see if it works in the comics. It kind of works, you know, because it kind of they use the multiverse idea to fit the continuity, right? Because they have so many storylines, so many different artists and writers that it sometimes becomes overwhelming. Yeah. A reader won't necessarily go into these comic book stories and take them individually. So fanatics would try to make it fit, right? Would try to make it fit into canon and try to explain why that's different, why suddenly this has changed, why suddenly he's doing a different costume and, you know, um, the tone yeah. is changing, right? So their explanation in the comic books is you have different Earths and different realities. And and now I think they're trying to fit that into the into the cinematic universe. Um, we'll yeah, see if it e- works even or just not. Different, even just different comic runs, though, too. I mean, you can get away with it in the comics. You can have three or four different Batman titles. And even if, you know, with just different types of storylines or, or you know, uh, Marvel was, was famous for that, too. There would be, you know... Marvel Tales, which was Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man, The Spectacular Spider-Man, they would have all these different runs and they were just kind of different storylines as well. So you didn't have to jam everything into one. Doing it in film, where we're at now with Batman could get a little crazy because not only do you have, you know, you've got the Robert Pattinson, the Batman feature film, right? Ben Affleck, they keep bringing him back and forth into into the, the Snyderverse, to and and they're trying to get him for HBO, but now Michael Keaton is also making a return in the Flash, which is going to be like a multiverse film. So yeah, yeah there's you know, is it gimmicky? Is Marvel Marvel is, is supposedly doing it like Nick said with Spider Man? How much is too much? Well, when you say something like like the Flash, that's that's it's a very specific subject. Is is the multiverse? I mean, the, the other stuff you're kind of scratching your head, thinking, are they playing up the multiverse or is it just? You know, because the other thing didn't do too well, so we got to try it again. You know, so <laughs> now we're in this sort of culture where, oh, we can just forget about that and cancel it, yep. and then we'll just start over from scratch. You know, so, we're, we're, so you know, so mu- multiverse as an excuse to reboot. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. In the right, case of I, DC, I'm not sure. Yeah, what, what we're gonna do? We're gonna go back to a simpler time. Yeah, <laughs> when they only did one reboot at a time. So we are gonna travel back to 2005, where Simpler times of the the George Clooney destruction of the Batman franchise had occurred. The sets were left smoldering. Joel Schumacher was sent out on a rail, like, do not touch the Batman franchise anymore. 
and and the the wonderful Christopher Nolan started. So let me give you let's let me give everybody the stats about the film like we normally do, and then we'll we will get into Batman Begins, which is one one of the classic and and probably one of the best Batman films. So here we go. Released in two thousand five, directed by Christopher Nolan. Screenplay, which is this is important. The screenplay was was by Christopher Nolan and David S. Goyer. Uh, we will talk probably a little bit about David S. Goyer because he is just very prolific as far as screenwriting. Uh, the budget was one hundred and fifty million, which is really tame by today's standards for for superhero films. Uh, and it made three hundred and seventy three million uh, box office, which also is back then it was pretty big, but now that's that's tame in, in the you know End Game and and Infinity War era. Okay, the cast. <laughs> we've wow. got a ca- we've got a cast for days. So I'm going to try and go through. I'm I'm going to leave one or two out, but we're going to hit ninety nine percent of them. Okay, uh, and I won't. You know, Christian Bale as Batman, Gary Oldman as Jim Gordon, not yet Commissioner Gordon, Michael Caine as Alfred, Liam Neeson as Raz Agul, Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert <laughs> for Liam Neeson. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, or Ducard. Sorry. Oh, yeah, you kind of jumped the gun there. <laughs> I merely Ducard, but he's. Uh, we're we're guessing. I don't think we're g- going to be giving anything away with Batman <laughs> Begins. So this is not going to be like a Sixth Sense uh, spoiler reveal. Uh, Killian Murphy is Doctor Doctor Jonathan Crane. Spoiler Scarecrow. <laughs> uh, Tom Tom Wilkinson as Carmine Falcone. Uh, Morgan Freeman as Lucius. I love the way he says it. I love the way uh, Michael Caine says it. Yep. Luci- Lucius. Fox. Lucius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of Lucius. Lu- Lucius. Uh, Ken Ken Watanabe, Watanabe as also Razagul, and Rucker Hauer as Mister Earl. Mm-hmm. Also, just in supporting, uh, only because it's important in the Christopher Nolan universe is Mark Boone Jr. is is Flass, who was a detective. Mark Boone Jr. has worked with Christopher Nolan before. So he's kind of like one of the he's one of the the players in, in Christopher Nolan's world. So I uh, probably left out some other ones. But these, this is I mean, this is a cast cast and a half. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I'm going to say. I and, think it was uh, uh, it was Nolan's intent to I think it was the original Superman that inspired him to uh, have a cast of this type, because going back, you think of the Richard, Don- which, by the way, he pa- sadly passed away. Today, uh, you guys know about that. Yes. But I, just, I just read that. So yeah, Richard Donner did yeah, pass away Richard, as of t- today, as of the recording of this uh, episode at age ninety one. Yeah, yeah, uh, and a prolific, a prolific <laughs> career, and, and mainly a Warner Brothers uh, mm-hmm. studio director. Yeah, that this, Superman uh, movie was a real inspiration for this. You know, yeah, just yep. even even the formatting, not seeing the hero until really the halfway mark, almost in this point. But the different, you know, the cast you mentioned, the movie starts out just right in, no opening credits or anything, and seeing all those familiar faces in these in these roles just pop up one after another: Rutger Hauer, Morgan yeah. Freeman, and now in hindsight, you know, the, the kid who played Joffrey in Game of Thrones as the little kid, That's right? And, you know, all yep. these faces, you know, <laughs> so it's just it's, it's really wonderful. Yeah, that was you. You bring up something very interesting that the, that the movie just kind of starts. 
not not even a title card. So if mm. you know, you could literally put this on for somebody and say, "Let's watch a movie." They wouldn't know exactly what it was, or or if they'd never seen it before, which is very interesting. And yeah. when when we just read off this, I mean, when we read the when I read the cast, where I just read off all these heavy guns in Hollywood. At the time, Christian Bale was was really the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were trying to cast this film and, and probably learn some of the lessons that. Uh, had just uh, had just taken place perhaps with Clooney and Kilmer where, you know, the stunt casting, let's, let's get this one for this. Let's get Jim Carrey, you know, let's go, you know, for the Riddler, you know, this much like in, in the inspiration Nolan took for Superman uh, grounded more in the real world, not Mm -hmm. really grounded in a comic book world. And he actually said as much that this Batman does not live in the, in the world where there's other superheroes, where there's Metropolis and all this other stuff. So in, uh, in the search for someone to play Batman, the casting, the, the, the people that screen tested for this was, is quite interesting. It wasn't a, a ton of, it wasn't like big names like Leo DiCaprio or someone like that. I mean, Christian Bale at the time was probably one of the biggest of, of the ones that did uh, screen test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he want they want they I think the emphasis was to get somebody who could who could play both Batman effectively and uh more importantly uh Bruce Wayne. And apparently he fit the bill in both in both in both cases. However, <laughs> I think there was the, the famous story of him while he was filming um oh geez, what was the name of the film he was doing where he got really skinny. The machinist, know, he, the machinist, he lost a lot of weight method actor. Yeah, and 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 they were like, and Christopher Nolan's like, how do you look? <laughs> you know, because he he was afraid that, but but Bale ended up bulking up for the role almost to the point where he was too big, and uh, so he had to kind of scale it down a bit. But other than that, I think he was uh, everybody. And did he use he that into like when yeah. he was younger, in in that in those scenes when he was younger and he looked a little more gaunt, right? I, I think he used the fact that Christian Bale came into this and was still gaining the weight for the role. So he shot, I think, those scenes first. Yeah. And it really works. Could you know, um, you see yeah. how you know, he, he does look like a younger guy. Yeah, yeah they just, do it with the hair. You know, they, they part his hair on the side. They right. kind of really get, you know, uh, a little bit like some some a little bit looser clothing as well to kind of give him that young kind of, mm-hmm. kind of look. Other actors that had screen tested for this, oddly enough, Killian Murphy, who plays Dr. Jonathan Crane, hmm. uh, screen tested for it. Uh, Ian, Ian Bailey, who was not, not a big name actor. Uh, he was in band of brothers, most notably, uh, David Boreanaz, right. We know him from angel and Buffy and, and the show bones, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Billy Crudup, uh, you Dancy. This would have been odd and uncomfortable. Jake Gyllenhaal. Hmm. <laughs> if Jake Gyllenhaal had become Batman and everything that happened happened into the second film, uh, his love interest would have been his sister. <laughs> yeah, so. that's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, awkward. <laughs> Maybe Katie Holmes would have stayed in the role though. The next two movies. Yeah, they so. would have had to. They would have had to. Um, so, so yeah. So they they landed on Christian Bale, who uh, up to this point, really, I mean, his his biggest film was was probably American Psycho like that mm-hmm. he had really had started to become known for you know he was he was known for Empire of the Sun which was which was kind of like when he was a kid yeah. uh Newsies when he was young you know that kind of stuff and then uh American Psycho well he was the villain in Shaft 
the villain in Shaft, smaller was, role. Yeah, yeah, he played Walter Wade. I mean, he was such a uh, bastard in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> he was really good, but he, he was, was kind of working yeah, yeah. those smaller roles and, yeah, and working yeah. those character those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reign of Fire, which was with the dragons with Matthew McConaughey. Yep. Um, but then, you know, Batman Begins, if you start, if you look at his filmography after Batman Begins, it, it launched him into the, into the Hollywood elite because then he would mm-hmm. do The Prestige with Christopher Nolan, yeah. 310 to Yuma, Dark Knight, Terminator, Terminator Salvation, uh, The Fighter, um, one of my favorite films of all times, uh, American Hustle as well. So yes. um, yep. this, this, really, this really set him up in a big way. The thing of it is for me, I'm, and I'm probably, you know, I don't know if we should go there right now, but uh, looks he, like we are. He, he's such a, um, <laughs> I think, I think it's a testament to his acting and, and, and the dark night for me, when he was a little over the top in his, in his, his portrayal of Batman, um, I, I realized that was that, was that Nolan's idea? Was it Christian Bale's idea to kind of, to have the instinct to make him unlikable in that film, because that was the whole point of the film, you know, and I kind of realized or Batman, uh, Batman, Batman? to subvert the character of Batman to the point where you're not supposed to like him, you know, because they're building on, you know, uh, Harvey Dent Mm -hmm. as the white knight. And so I, you know, it kind of, it makes, it makes perfect sense as far as the narrative of of the film, but he just, for me, it's like, you know, going in, he made such a great impression, first impression on the first movie that, you know, when you see him in the dark night and he, he's, he's just like, eh, you know, with that, with that growl. And, and it's just like, to me, it's just like, I, I cringe every time I hear it. Right. That voice. That, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So what's your impression on that though? Do you think that he was, that was something that done on purpose or was it just, was he over the top or was that an instinct in, in, in the, in the writing of the film itself or, you know, somebody thought of to do that so that he would be sort of out of place in a sense. Like he, he is a, a caricature in that sense. <clears throat> I mean, what's your, what's your take on that? In Batman begins yep. the, the voice in Batman begins, I, I think plays well. And I love the fact that the morality comes really through. And that's an underlying mm-hmm. theme in, in the whole where you like the character and he yeah. is a hero and he's not just this dark vigilante, this grim, dark thing that a lot of fans, it's very divisive, whether that's part of the core of what Batman is or not. And I think intentionally in the next two movies, like you say, Eric, it's played up. It's, 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 yeah. you're meant to see now, because in the beginning, the first movie, it's very idealistic. You know, it's very like yeah. he's a hero. He's 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 what Gotham City needs, right? He's that moral. He's not going to kill. He's not going to stoop down to the level of the criminals he's fighting. And even at the end, with with when he's like, you know, I didn't say thank you, and he turns to him and says, "And you never will. You don't. You never have to, or whatever the line to. is." Yep. Where it's like he's not doing this to become this this statue where every mm-hmm, Gotham right. City is going to be like, "Here's our savior," right? And then in the next two movies. The cycle continues, and, and I think Nolan is really going like, who are our heroes? You know, and and yeah. it, it goes into this darker place because the Joker is this different level of of a villain. He's this criminal yep. who's not doing things that the criminals in the first movie are doing. He's mm-hmm. he's 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 an anarchist, right? And then Bane yeah. in the third one. So I think to reach yep. the point where the hero has to rise again, I think you have to tear him down. So you're absolutely right. I think intentionally. I think in the next few, but then it becomes like. With the voice and everything, I think that becomes a little much. 
you know, and I think but that's, 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 that's one of my so as a, criticisms of the other as, two movies, right? Right, but as an audience member, that's what it, that's what I didn't like about the Dark Knight. Effectively, it was because you know, I'm, and especially I thought it was kind of odd that it was just sec- the second film in that he would be acting so over the top this way when I loved him so much in the first film, mm-hmm. which is why I think you know Batman Begins is probably yeah. my favorite of the three. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll so, throw I'll throw in a, a little bit on this, and then we're going to get onto uh, onto yeah. Batman Begins just to kind of I think to give that a little perspective. I think. Mm-hmm. It, in the second film, you see uh, Bruce Wayne is a little more obsessive, okay, and, yeah. and especially you know with with the voice, and, and you know mainly it's mainly the jail scene that everybody has a problem with when when he's he's interrogating Heath Ledger. I mean, at this point, he does not know where where certain you know people have been kidnapped. So I I think the character of the Batman is also being played up a little bit more in, in an attempt to try and intimidate somebody who it turns out cannot be intimidated. Yeah. So I think it was just the, the obsessive nature because because they touch on that also with Alfred about about you don't understand the Joker you don't understand the nature about someone that just wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. And I think that was the, the the dichotomy there not to get too like into the weeds with it. But I think that the uh, the character became more obsessive in the second one, and I think that just elevates the the Batman character, right? Becomes he, he becomes more of of what he was of of this, you know. In sure. the beginning, it was yeah. you know, it was a little more gruff, but now he, he was trying to use whatever he had against the Joker to try and intimidate him, and none of that stuff worked. Hitting him, punching him, right. it, it didn't. It turned yeah. out none of that would work. So, getting back to <laughs> Batman Begins. So let's let's briefly just talk qu- quickly a little bit about about David S. Goyer. Because this guy wrote the wrote the screenplay, and he's just all over a lot of these uh, comic book films to to varying degrees. So, as a writer, you know he wrote he wrote uh, Blade, he wrote Blade Two, and he blew, wrote yeah. Blade Trinity. So he was already a, like kind of steeped into the comic book thing. Uh, he had done a lot of sci fi. He wrote Dark City, which was a very interesting film back in nineteen ninety eight. Um, really, really bizarre, but yeah, like blade two was 2002 blade Trinity was Oh four Batman begins was right after it in Oh five. And then he would work on the story for dark Knight and dark Knight rises. And then here's where things get a little wonky is he would, he would write man of steel and Batman versus Superman, which are head scratchers to me because those, I, that it doesn't seem like the guy that wrote Batman begins wrote those two films. You're right. Cause they yeah. seem so different. I dare, I dare say flawed man of steel, you know, to a, to a lesser degree, but uh, I, you would have, I would have never guessed. And maybe that's because Christopher Nolan helped co-write Batman begins and maybe directed this a little bit more, you know, with, with, with what he was looking for, with what Christopher Nolan was looking for. It was Nolan. He was, he was uh, involved with man of steel as well. When is he, I mean, I know he was a producer on it, but yeah, but not, not in any story capacity or uh, anything like that. Yeah. The Snyder versus is an odd it's an odd thing. You're right. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of sketchy. (laughs) There's just, there was just decisions made that are just kind of like, I don't know. We're we're, weird. Scratcher. Yep. We will save that for another one. Uh, And then let's just touch on Christopher Nolan a little (laughs) bit. I had actually seen his, his feature film debut, his his major feature film debut, Memento. I'd seen that in the theater and was absolutely blown away. Yeah, that was Uh, great. Nick, did did you ever see Memento? Not in the theater. I saw it years ago on on DVD. Insomnia too. That was the other one. Yes. Before, but, but watching those two movies, you you wonder what made them think this is the guy to take over the franchise. You know, like it just it it, it to me it doesn't fit. But he, the deliver what he delivered 
it worked. They they saw it and yeah. they they knew it and it worked out. But you wouldn't think of it from yeah. looking at those two films that this is the guy who can take a franchise and bring it back. Well, I think I think what some of it might have been is you have to you also have to think about what was happening with superhero films. There's a brief window of time after the the Batman and Robin with George Clooney and Batman Begins. You had the X Men films with Brian Singer, who was a usual suspects. He he was one of those kind of filmmakers that came out of nowhere and then was handed a handed a franchise. Yeah, right. Christopher, it kind of follow it kind of follows that. You know, the Sam Raimi Spider Man films were in between there, but. But the I think the X Men kind of set reset the tone also where the film started going into a more serious tone, a little more of a realistic universe as opposed to the Tim Burton you know Adams Family gothic camp you know like kind of campiness that it became. Get, getting Brian Singer to take that on says you know what we I think we want like a serious director for this kind of stuff and not with the the gimmicky stuff and I think that might have had something to do with it. Because, you know, the first two X-Men films were, were really, really incredible. And then the last one, which he didn't direct, was just, it was okay. But Well, the climate, <laughs> too, at the time, I mean, this is post 9-11. Everything was affected by it. You know, like TV movies were pretty, you know, pretty serious, cynical, darker. Everything kind of took that turn. And, you know, of course, Batman being, you know, the darker, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Because I, I always thought of him as a, a serious, brooding character anyway. So... Yeah, it was it was just the right fit. And there's an intelligence to the guy. I mean, he knows how to make a blockbuster film, but intelligently and smart. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and Nick, yep. you touched on Tim Burton a little bit earlier. So why don't, you, why don't you kind of talk a little bit about that, about the contrast between that very stylized, you know, and specific style and specific look versus what we got with Batman Begins. I mean, if you think about Tim Burton and the movies he's made, he's one of the few directors, I think, where you sit in front of one of his movies and you could say, this is a Tim Burton movie, right? He really picks movies that fit his ideas of characters and the outsiders and everything from Edward Scissorhands to, you know, all these other movies that he's made. So Batman, as a Batman fan, when you hear Tim Burton, you think, okay, this is going to work. A lot of folks maybe were taken aback that they were thinking Pee Wee's you know, big adventure and, you know, <laughs> the, you know, you didn't, Beetle you didn't juice. Beetlejuice it, but, playing Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, when they cast Michael Keaton, there was all this backlash by people like, oh, you, what is this? But it totally worked, I thought, with those first two movies. The more yeah. I watch yeah. Batman Returns, the more I realize what a great film that is as well. I, I thought I just really worked. And I wish I would have, you know, we could have seen what his idea was for the third film. Maybe Billy mm -hmm. D. Williams as Two-Face and, you know, what other ideas he had. I know he was going to bring in Robin at some point. Joel Schumacher, I, I I actually love him as a director. I think, you know, Lost Boys and some of these other movies he's made. I think the studio got involved with Batman Forever, remember, was a big hit when it came out. Critically, it was yeah, trashed. It was Fans, huge. you know, were mixed about it. And then Batman and Robin was the one that kind of imploded on all levels. But Tim Burton, you know, it, it, it was this this world. He created Gotham and then the music really worked. And now you you look at what Christopher Nolan did complete reversal right 180 total change very realistic fits in it's 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 a world without other superheroes you know in the tim burton movie you could almost yep. see other superheroes kind of coming in right this is it, it doesn't like even the origin when when he goes 
to the theater with his parents, Bruce Wayne, as a little kid. In the comic books, it was always the Zorro movie. They were going to see a Zorro movie. And that was like one of his inspirations. And intentionally, I think Christopher Nolan had said, no, let's wipe that out because no superheroes ever existed in this universe, right? So there was nobody that put on a mask to fight crime. That came something straight from Bruce Wayne, right? Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, seeing the bats yep. early on as a child you know the very first thing that like bob kane yep. had done was he was an adult sitting in his lounge and he sees the bat come through and now here you know he's taken stuff from later comics where the bats were always something that was in the psyche of this poor kid bruce wayne and made that part of the character development very different kind of feel to it tim burton you know I would love to see him come back to the character someday in some way. Maybe they'll do some homage to him in, in the Flash movie if they have the Michael Keaton character, like they're saying they will be. Who knows? It, it's just a very different. It's an idea. It's it's about an auteur, right? The old auteur theory where the director kind of leaves their imprint, even though this is like a, a collaborative effort to make these movies with the cinematographer mm-hmm. and the music and the cast and everything it's not just one person making a, a film that theory i do believe in it where it's like a director kind of brings a bit of herself or himself into the film um, and that's what tim burton always did and i think christopher nolan now you see his latter movies he has that too you go see these movies inception and interstellar and everything it's like and tenet you see it as a christopher nolan film um, and he brought that into the Dark Knight trilogy, starting with Batman Begins. Absolutely, absolutely, and and yeah, T- Tim Burton is absolutely style over substance. And, and I'm going to say that that this, in a good way, is substance over style. Mm-hmm. That that Batman Begins really, you know, because everyone knows the story of Batman pretty much the origin. So you know the the Tim Burton Batman series kind of picks up in, in the middle of he's already Batman he's doing everything and you, you and they get, you get the obligatory flashback of the parents getting killed but that's all you ever that's all you ever know about it right so with with Batman begins the first hour of the film is is really universe building is is they're really setting the story for what the stakes are for the personal development of him and the parents figure in a lot there's a lot of discussion you know, they, they kind of give you the, the parent's story, but throughout the film, there's a lot of references to, you know, what your what would your parents think of you now or what yeah. uh, what effect the, the murder of the parents had on Gotham at large as well. They talk about that a lot. I kind of I kind of get the impression that uh, uh, Thomas Wayne was involved somehow. It's implied that he was part of perhaps some kind of a, an Illuminati type of of thing with along with Morgan Freeman's character, Alfred because they obviously know each other. So I, I feel like there's, they almost had this, like this little, almost like this little club going on where they were looking out for Gotham themselves, but waiting for someone to really, perhaps they couldn't do it. And, you know, as, 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 as Bruce Wayne would do it or as Batman would do it, but waiting for someone to come along and, and, you know, but they, you know, with a lot of money. And of course they, you see Lucius Fox, you know, dealing with weapons and, you know, that kind of thing. So they're, I feel as though they were kind of gearing up for something. I kind of get that impression in the film because they, they do reference. And when he says, you know, Lucius, it's good, always a pleasure. And he's like, Lucius. And that scene that you referenced, Dean, Alfred always getting on Bruce about about his father, you know, more so than I'm here to take care of you. But because, because you know, Thomas Wayne was so important to me, that's that there's a slightly different thing there. I think from all the Alfreds of the past, you know, you don't really get that, that you don't really hear, you know, hear him talk about the father as much, 
but here it's like it you're you have to you know maintain the name of, of wayne and you know your father was very important yeah so the importance of yeah of building uh, yeah, him up and, and this alfred you know. isn't afraid to to push back and yeah. to and to yeah, and to call and, him out on that kind of stuff. That, you know, well, they're this you know, Alfred's but, a badass. I mean, you could, you could definitely tell. You could definitely right. tell he had a pass of some sort too. I, I always like to think that he was some, probably some kind of secret agent or something. Yeah. You know, in his youth, they touch know, on that a little bit yeah. in the second film. He says, yeah. "Oh, when I was doing whatever with Jules or, or whatever." But um, I, I think so. So just to get back to the just to to the framework of the film is the first hour is really kind of like the hero's journey. It's Bruce Wayne not seeing justice done for his parents, the, for the, the killer of his parents. Um, he decides he's probably, he's going to try and exact his own version of, of vengeance. This is before the, you know, the whole Bat- Batman idealism took, took root is he was just as a, you know, a, a, an angry person, obviously probably some psychological problems if he's willing to do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it gets thwarted. He does not get to exact his, his version of vengeance. And and when he reveals to uh, his you know to Rachel Dawes his kind of pseudo girlfriend what he was going to do she she says that she goes your your father would be you know would be disappointed like and that sets him off on his journey basically he he confronts the local mob boss but then at that point decides he's going to disappear yeah even the mob boss knows Thomas Wayne even like there's a sense of, like I said scenes, they, yeah. don't come down here with your anger you know and you're trying <laughs> to prove something that's the great Tom Wilkinson yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, but uh, there's my Great impression. Scene. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, again, there's that sense of one. like, there's that <laughs> sense of, uh, of, of everybody knows Thomas Wayne and he's such a big figure in this thing. Like, you know, re- you, that really wasn't a, uh, an issue back in the day. So I always yeah. had a sense that he might have been perhaps into something they were preparing for something just as i don't, I don't know i mean i mean they talked about weapons about getting into weapons and that was more recent so i don't know yeah how far how far back that would go but the, but the they, specter of thomas wayne looms large and larger in gotham than yeah. it did in previous in previous incarnations he was just a rich guy yeah. you know just a rich person that had a mansion right. on the hill in this one yeah philanthropist philanthropist doctor you know yep. a doctor yep. you know industrialist whatever you know running all these com- or 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 his name is on these companies as as you know as the front of it but but even um, even liam neeson's character like you know ducard he's you know he's telling wayne when he's training him he's like your father how does he know his dad how does he how does he know thomas wayne and find out later that he really was instrumental in saving gotham and that was another twist later where the league of shadows yeah. had it wasn't just a decision now that we're going to destroy Gotham before they were laying the, the groundwork through economics, right. To, to, to implode the city and just make it turn into like the cesspool and just destroy itself from within. And it was folks like Thomas Wayne. And maybe you're right. Maybe he was part of this larger network to save Gotham and other, you know, they kind of build up Gotham city as a character itself, right. There is the greatest city in the world, his moral fiber obviously had an impact on Bruce. Like well, that scene that you mentioned, uh, Dean, where, you know, he had the gun. He was going to shoot Joe Chill, who who killed his parents and was finally going to be released because he was going to give evidence against, you know, Falcone. But somebody from Falcone's team kills him. So he's in he's and, you know, Rachel sees the gun and slaps him across the face and then slaps him again. But then, <laughs> yeah. you know, the line, right, yeah. you know, your father would be ashamed. That's what you see the look in his eyes like that hurt more than those two slaps. Right. Yeah. And then that's what lingers with him. It's like, what would his father do? His father wouldn't kill. His father wouldn't 
do these terrible things. He wouldn't stoop to the level of the criminal. You know, he wanted to save Gotham City. And that's the legacy that he wants to uphold and, and become. Even though he's wearing a mask now and scaring the living daylights out of these criminals, he wants to be something that's going to bring hope to this city. And I think, yeah. yeah, maybe Thomas Wayne and Alfred and Lucius, they were all in trying to do that. And then it got subverted again, you know. Yeah, I, I think it was the obsessive nature of Bruce Wayne also, though, because that sets him on this path to under at first all he did is he basically left get left go, left gotham without a word he just no notice but to go on this self, this journey of self-discovery of to understand the criminal mind or or to understand what that's about and they go into that a little bit where he's leading the criminal life and understanding the nature that sometimes people have to steal to to live and that it's not always for you know the uh, some devious or or some criminal act but just a, a self-preservation act Eventually gets gets thrown in prison, uh, gets basically freed by Liam Neeson, who is Ducard slash Raza Gold. Not giving anything away because I blew it already in the beginning. Basically invites him to say, "Listen, if you're looking for something more, if you're looking for that justice and that balance, we we have a, a place for you." So he 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 makes the trek, gets gets there, basically joins what's called the League of Shadows, which is this underground centuries old organization of, you know, Bruce Wayne would call it vigilantes, but they call themselves, you know, uh, purveyors of justice where when things get throughout history, when, when the balance of power needs to be reset, the league of shadows would come into different cities throughout time. Constantinople, they mentioned and some other ones, yeah, either, you know, through chaos or destruction, re reset these, these cities that had fallen so badly so they can rise again. Their, their, their notion supposedly is, is pure is the pursuit of pure justice is to reset these cities when they become beyond saving. And that's when we find when Bruce Wayne's training is done is they want him to lead spearhead the charge to Gotham to basically ransack it and, and bring it down so it can be rebuilt. And this is where, and, and this is where the, uh, the important scene happens is when he's supposed to kill somebody this is where and you also get the origin of, of batman's like no kill credo yeah also because you never really yeah. see that you only ever hear about that if you read the comics you know he doesn't like to kill he's got this thing but that's right you know it's kind of the, kind of there but in the film they actually put it to film that you know i'm i'm not going to kill you know we're supposed to kill this this local guy he he, he killed someone else well i'm thief. not going to do that yeah. he should go on trial for justice you know, and and that you see the origin of his no kill, the no kill clause. Well, that, yeah, they put him to the in test. Batman's contract. That's, Ducard, that's right. He's like you know, talks about the corruption of the system. He's like, it's all corrupt. And then later you find out that the League of Shadows has been implanting all these kind of corrupt officials in every level of Gotham, and who knows how many other civilizations through history. So it's almost like, who do you trust? You know, like. Bruce Wayne at the time, before he becomes Batman, he's kind of learning this moral code. You know, he's kind of learning yeah. what is right, what is wrong, and kind of almost goes with his gut. And in the later films, all those things that he's learned kind of get tested, right? Because, yeah, you know, right. the typical criminal behavior that he learned, so, he spent so much time trying to studying, doesn't apply to folks like the Joker or Bane or, you know, then the Scarecrow, who's kind of lost his mind after that toxic, you know, inhalation that he had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, and, and I think really it's his, his interactions with the with his interactions with the criminal elements make him understand that he's not the judge, jury, and executioner. That yeah, maybe someone stole 
because they were hungry. So they should be judged uh, on that, right? And and not just automatically like put to death. So I think that's where you get to see the moral code of Bruce Wayne, a la, you know, via Batman start to take hold. And ba- basically he does not join the League of Shadows. There's a big fight. Ducard or Raza Ghoul is is presumed dead, although he save he saves him, but then he kind of you know Bruce Wayne kind of leaves him in a hut and returns returns to Gotham after seven years of of being gone, and and now and now you kind of start to see the the begin right the beginning of of Batman is where he starts to put all these these different things into into play of leveraging Wayne Industries. He comes back and they had him they had him pronounced dead. So there's there's some levity there too. It, it's not all all dark and 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 dour. Um, they do have that nice touch with with when you have Michael Caine, you know. He he just you could see he's just having fun with the role as well. He's just oh, that, eating it up. It was a stroke of genius for, for him know. to be cast. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You haven't you haven't given up on me, Alfred? Have you? Never, <laughs> never, <laughs> never. <laughs> he, he, you could see him just licking his chops, waiting to say. Yeah. He says it twice. Yeah. Never. <laughs> and that's the thing too. It's just you know the, the, these types of actors. I mean, you just can't. They're just not to be ignored. You know, they're just yeah. so prestigious and it's such a pleasure to see them, you know? Yeah. When you got, I mean, you got yeah. Liam Neeson kind of, you know, uh, up there also. It's just the, the, yeah, the stature of the, of the people that they brought in to surround Christian Bale also to kind of send this movie off. You know, they didn't, they didn't really cut any corners. Let's put it every, that way. Every, Gary Old, I mean, we didn't even get to Gary Oldman. I mean, just, it's just, there's a lot, there's so much with this film. So, these actors come I mean, they could have played much bigger parts, but they're so tucked into their roles and they, every, every role, even how small, how large or small, it, it, they're, they're perfect in the role. So you can't really, and know, they're really well written. Critical, yeah. So. And, and you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to step up to the plate right now on this one uh, because she, she is much maligned Katie Holmes. And I, you know what? I, I think over time when I when the more I watch Batman Begins and watch her performance, the more I appreciate it, actually. She, you know, the role was a little underwritten as far as their relationship between Bruce Wayne and Rachel. When I saw Ma- Maggie Gyllenhaal in, you know, in the second one, actually, I didn't, I didn't care for her as much. I, I ended up liking Katie Holmes a little bit more, you know, a little more spunk. I think a little more fire, you know, they didn't have a lot of quality scenes together, but I think she did the best with the best with what she had. I think, I think she kind of gets a little, she gets a lot of flack for it, but yeah, I, I, mean, I, I kind of wish they'd stuck with her. I would have liked to have seen what she had done with the later ones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there we go. We're, we're in, in defense of, of Katie Holmes on this. So Bruce Wayne returns and has this idea that, you know, kind of kind of biting off the League of Shadows a little bit is, you know, I, I need to protect Gotham. I, I can't uh, I can't do it as Bruce Wayne. I need to do it as as something else, a symbol. And so we get we get that great those great scenes. And then he finally meets Morgan Freeman, who we really didn't even talk about, too. Right. Lucius Fox, another top tier actor just in the all these side roles. These are not gigantic roles that these people are in. That's right. Uh he, you know, and what I like about this film so much too is that he's Bruce Wayne can't do it alone. You know, in, right. in the other films, in, in in the previous grouping of films, he's kind of self sufficient. He the has Batcave all, is there. He's got yep. all the technology. He's it, got the assumed, gadgets. He he's doing everything he, himself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Which in is, this one, he's relying on Lucius Fox because he's got some some technology or gadgetry. They have to order the cowls and the masks from China or wherever they like. They have to get them mass produced. So like 
they they do kind of acknowledge that like it's not just like one guy kind of do, like doing this all his own like they have to create these dummy corporations so they can have these things made and then he's trying to get the, the stuff from Lucius Fox and, and he's a little suspicious too. So I like that there's a, a network of people that it's more, it, it actually grounds it a little bit more. Yeah. He's got unlimited funds. That doesn't mean he has unlimited knowledge. They're not, yeah, he's not they're, they're not Stark. portraying Bruce Wayne as a genius. Not <laughs> right. that he's stupid, right? but he's now Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Exactly. I like the fact that he doesn't know some of these characters either. He meet, this is where he meets Lucius Fox for the first time. So he, he's getting to meet these, these sort of, uh, his dad's peers, his, his, you know, his comrades as, as were, you know, and, he, and I think there's a little, again, there's a little something there that he's, he goes, I'm not an idiot, Mr. Wayne, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to know what you're into, but it's, it's just implied that, but they, you know, you notice that they're kind of watching him do this and they're not really, they're not questioning it. Yeah. Lucifer, Fox is suspicious. Fox isn't questioning. Neither is Alfred. You know, at, you know, at this point, Alfred, it's like, you know, you came back after all these years and all of a sudden you're obsessed with and he's not stopping him. He's not giving him the lectures yet. Exactly. Maybe, maybe they're familiar with that kind of behavior from a Wayne. You know, you know, not that Thomas Wayne was a superhero donning a cape and cowl, but he probably was doing things behind right. the scenes when he was building that, you know, the train and doing yeah. all the things to and help that obsessive, Gotham that, that know, obsessive nature, cutting the corners yep. a little bit because it had to be done. Yeah. yeah. No, no, absolutely. And that, and then of course there's one other character that remembers Tom Thomas Wayne and that's Mr. Earl <laughs> played by the great Rucker Howard too. So again, when yeah. I saw Rucker Howard, anytime yeah. we could see Rucker Howard is, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Like he was a surprise in Sin City. So I, I'm glad that he got like a, a, a second lease on his career and, you know, he, he's just really great. He, again, not not too many scenes, but he's just oily and you could just tell yeah. he's, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're taking the company public. Bruce can't stop the wheels, kind of like that type of thing. Now, and then he- there's that one great scene. He's like, you look like your father. And they kind of slicked back like Christian Bale's hair. So he looks like Linus Roach, who was a great actor, by the way, too. He was on the tail end of Law and Order. Yes. Um, so, again, top to bottom, uh, just pros in this movie. But uh, Rucker Hauer was also a pleasure to see running the board and then firing, you know, firing Lucius Fox, you know, it was like, you didn't get the memo type thing. So was like, he, was ah. he there? Was he put placed there by the league of shadows? I don't think so. I think it was there. Think so? I think it's just, yeah, he's just, just okay. Just I think he's just been waiting to take over. I think right. he's been waiting to get his, his sink, his claws yeah. into, into Wayne industries. Mm. Yeah. Cause it, it just, I'm just referring to that but one there was part a little where bit he's, of you know, questioning about that. When he's asking Fox when about, they, when like, they I want all, device, all the data. Right? On, right. I want all the data. Exactly. On it, and by the way, you're out of here. So I kind of yeah. got suspicious Could of be. that. It's like, you know, hey, you know, this guy's never, probably. Never thought. Thought. I just thought yeah. he was. I just thought he was trying to cover up like what could have been a massive uh, scandal that they yeah. lost. You know, I, I, I don't think I never got the impression he was smart enough or, or like in, like that they, <laughs> that they that they infiltrated Wayne Industries, though. I never got the impression that the League of Shadows infiltrated Wayne Industries to that extent. I just think it was like this thing went missing because he was like when the guy told him, he goes and, and like and it went missing is like, yeah, yeah, it went missing. It's like, oh, yeah. crap. You know, I think I think it was more in kind of like cover up mode. And anybody that would have any any knowledge of it, he was cutting loose. So he would have like, you know, uh, plausible deniability, as it were. So he well, would not have to get in trouble over it. I think that's what it was. I think he was just a an outside pawn of this. Uh, of this I love, whole well, I just love the fact that they, because something's so well written this way. And then, of course, you got Chris Nolan 
that you are able to take away all these little theories that you can come up with these, you know, these little yeah. things that you don't, they don't explain it. They don't bother to go there, whatever. So you just come up with your own thing. And I, I like that. I like having a different opinion and a different take on, on certain things. So, you know, help yeah. serve the story in your own way and that kind yeah, of thing. The Absolutely. Text, yeah. Either way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and while, while all this stuff is happening, so while Batman is, is, or Chris, Bruce Wayne is becoming Batman and, there's all these other machinations of, of drugs coming in and, and the local drug, you know, local mobster. Uh, there's also Dr. Jonathan Crane, who is is also <laughs> people are being caught and put into into jail and through court. And Dr. Jonathan Crane is putting him into Arkham Asylum. And it turns <laughs> out that, well, he, you know, and they just kind of brilliant. I mean, he doesn't, Scarecrow doesn't make an appearance until late in the film. Also, it's just like Killian Murphy. Yeah. You know, as as Dr. Jonathan Crane, and he's kind of creepy and just kind of like weird, like kind of strange. <laughs> And then we find out why he's so strange, you know, and yeah. when, when he, when he asks, uh, you know, Tom Wilkinson, Car- Carmine Falcone, would you like to see my mask? Yeah. You know, and then we, you know, we see <laughs> that, wow, there's, I, you know, they, they kind of snuck that one in. It's kind of like, okay, it's just like run of the mill villains. You know, there's yeah. a drug guy, you know, a, a mobster, which is great too. I like that. It's grounded. And then they kind of sneak, they sneak scarecrow in out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden he's just kind of like, and then they kind of drop him. He's kind of low level. He's kind of working with, yeah. with, you know, with the drug shipments that are coming in. That was a creepy scene when, when Batman gets dosed for the first mm-hmm. time, when, it, when they're in that, that rainy, you know, when he's kind of staking out that rainy apartment and the, and the drugs are in there. Great, great scene. Great scene there. Cause, and especially with Michael Caine after, after he, he rescues Batman and he's in the back seat. And you just see Michael's Caine, Caine's face when he's driving and he just has that look of despair. Cause Everything's been relatively successful up to this point, yeah. aside from bumps and bruises, which which they see. But him getting dosed and saying, you know, I'm, I've been poisoned and, and all that kind of stuff and, and writhing and, and just in, in this like paranoid. Uh, well, well you know, now we're heading in, we're, we're heading into like deeper territory here. This is something he probably didn't expect. It's a little bit of more things are becoming more surreal. Yeah, um, outside then, the realm of of normal exactly, gangsters, exactly. And you see, you see the different tiers of you know if you got Falcone, and then at the next step is Scarecrow, who's a pawn to something even bigger. And uh, the, the networking in this is is fantastic. I love how and the whole they, movie like, he's trying to you know, fight mm-hmm. off his fears, right? The whole movie yeah. is like that him trying to fight off his fears, and then t- when he becomes Batman, he finally is able to sit in the Batcave, and the the bats are just flying around him. He's standing still and he's accepting it. And then that scene, his fears come back because of this chemical, right? It's it's all that's right. Yeah. He's doubting himself. He's so it's just it is a great scene. Cinematically, it's beautifully shot, and the character's great. Who knows if Joel Schumacher would have been able to do his you know third film, Batman Triumphant, or whatever he was going to call it? He was thinking of getting Howard Stern <laughs> right to play the Scarecrow. Yeah, who knows Scarecrow. how that would have been played out. This is oh, so realistic you know and so perfect. Nick, you, Nick, you bring up a great contrast. I wanted to bring up since you brought up Schumacher is in in this, <laughs> which is the fight scenes. Okay, so if, if we look at you know one of the things that bothered me about Batman Forever, I, I I liked that Val Kilmer was taking over. He was my favorite actor at the time, but the fight scenes were just so clunky. They were so choppy, and you didn't. And I think just because I don't think Joel Schumacher knew how to really kind of block action scenes like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the the fight scenes or the action scenes in Batman Begins are choppy for and disorienting for a reason because you're not supposed to be able to tell what's going on. 
That's right. On purpose. It's supposed to be like this image, like, you know, because he has this ninja based training that, you know, at the scene at the docks when he's just like dispatching 10 guys, you really don't even see what he does. You don't even see like you just see bodies moving and 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 disorientation and chaos. Whereas in, in the Schumacher versions, it was it was that because they just didn't know how to really film the action scenes the right way. Whereas this was intent to disorient you. That you were you were one of the guys at the dock and you didn't know what was going on. Guys are getting swooped and picked up and and it's just like spinning. And then all you see is is Batman's feet as he like walks over the over the guys. You know, and I think that's that's the difference is understanding what you're trying to do with those action scenes as well. Because you would see in the in the following two films, the action scenes would would kind of broaden a little bit and you would get to see Batman fighting. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like actually fighting up close and doing stuff, but these, the, the, it's a lot more kind of uh, electric where that, where it's quick and, and you're not really sure and disorienting when you're, when you're trying to watch it. I like that. I think Bale had a lot to do with that too. I think it was his uh, input that Batman should be in the shadows, you know, cow, like sort of like stooping. And, and he goes, I think how, what did he say? He said, um, putting on the suit, you have to let the beast emerge while you're in the suit so you're you're actually he's you know acting like a like a bat he's like yeah. kind of hanging out and like you know just how could you this, not how could you not pose if you were in that costume exactly Nick, how could you not pose if you were in, of, <laughs> of course we would be posing and it's effective too you know it looks great it totally but, is uh, but does so, like bring the fear to the criminals right yes. yeah and and through through being a symbol so, so that's exactly that's a, and, and that's exactly what happens so what 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 we get what we end up getting is just a kind of a, a culmination of all these these different stressors i guess in in batman and, and bruce's wayne's journey come to a head where he needs to confront his his past which is going to tie him to his future as well and and there's and that they keep bringing up his parents like when he's at the party and he's drunk and raza ghoul shows up and, and and Bruce Wayne throws everybody out and they're like in one of those guys like this is not what your father would do. I mean, they just keep throwing that in his face that the contrast. But but now at this now it's a choice. Now he has to be this way. He has to have this. And like Rachel Dawes said at the end, this is your mask. Bruce Wayne is your mask. Exactly. What, what the people see out on the streets is the real Bruce Wayne. And and that was so br- such a brilliant line. And it came at the end that. This is now the like this you know the Playboy persona going into the hotel and swimming in the pool and and just being a really big just being an asshole is yeah. is really what he has to like that's what he's destined to have to do to protect the people that he loves and to also be able to have this other persona and, and unfortunately he has to kind of crap over his on his family's name although to a lesser extent in the later films he opened the orphanage and he did some of those other things. Yeah, he'll be doing it behind the scenes. Yeah, being the playboy is such a it's a mess, you know. Yeah, it is. So, 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 what happened? I mean, just to tie up the kind of plot, and then we can kind of geek out on our favorite scenes and that kind of stuff. Ra's al Ghul is not dead. He comes back to exact vengeance on Gotham to finish what was started. They've been over this time. What the drugs were is this psychotropic kind of drug that they put in the water supply. They're going to fire off this weapon that's going to basically turn it into a vapor. Everyone's going to inhale it, and and Gotham will tear itself apart. And once again, Batman can't do this alone. So now he partners with Jim Gordon, right? And and finally, like Gary Oldman's another high caliber actor did not have to do this film kind of lurking the scenes as Jim Gordon, not in it a lot, but really the confidant of Batman kind of understands that it's the only one that Batman trusts, the only cop that, that Batman trusts as well. Mm-hmm. 
uh, he needs his help. He gives him the tumbler, which is the, the Batmobile. He's got to he's got to shoot out some columns to stop the train to, to divert it. And he has a final, basically a final fight with Raza Ghul, Liam Neeson. His no kill clause comes. Train is barreling towards Wayne Tower. I think Raza Ghul says, "Yeah, now you you finally like have learned or whatever." And and Batman says, "Well, no, just because I'm not going to kill you doesn't mean I have to stop you. Like, I have, doesn't mean I have to do anything." Also, so that's kind of weird. He kind of let him die. So <laughs> did, I mean, I did he kill him? You. Yeah, I don't have to save you. Well, that, that's kind of the same thing as killing someone, Nick. If you're drowning and I'm saying, listen, I'm not going to, I don't have to save you. <laughs> You'd, I'd still get blamed, I think. And I think that's where, like in comics too, they, um, it's a fine line. Once you set that kind of moral line, <laughs> it, it becomes something that a good writer has to explore. And it is explored in the later movies yeah. because then you have the Joker. And in the comics, so many people are like, yep. how many people could Batman have saved if he had just killed the Joker, right? But yeah, so it's a fine line. It's like, well, I don't have to save you, but I, you know, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you. You're killing him <laughs> pretty much, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so and let's be honest. It, I mean, he it, ran over a cop car with the tumbler. Uh, those, I mean, I don't know how those guys lived. They were like underneath, like calling him on the CB. It's like, you know, he was just rolling over people anyway. So I'm, I'm not sure. I think that, that no kill clause kind of comes and goes. I, I think it's a, convenient. But Alfred does call him out on it. Yeah. So the, again, it's grounded. You know, he so does, and I is, love the anger is, that Alfred it, had, you know, you know, because it's like, yes, and you see the development. You see him as a character learning this stuff, right? He's he's mm-hmm. he, he's learning that he has he can't just go and he wants to save the city, but he's destroying it, you know, trying to get to the back cave <laughs> with Rachel, and, and, and so he is learning, you know. It's and when he falls fire. down, yeah. you know, and bruises himself, you know, all this stuff. It's like he's learning all the stuff he has to do. He he can't just snap his fingers and suddenly become a one man army. You know, it was okay yeah, beating and that, these and, guys in prison, but and that's the running theme through the film is why do we fall? Is to learn how to pick ourselves back up. That that theme gets revisited throughout, and and this that's the overarching thing is is the fall of Bruce Wayne right when he when he was going to kill Joe Chill you know, he had to learn to pick himself back up and to, and to look at justice in a different way. And then as Batman, he kind of fell, he didn't, you know, wasn't always that successful, especially in the beginning with the stapler in the back of the head. And he, with, <laughs> and he like jumped off the roof and he hit like three, you know, like three fire escapes on the way yeah. down. He almost had, he almost had like a, a, a sadistic smile on his face after that though. When he like, when he recovered, when he got onto the fire escape, he almost looked like he was like, this is, I, I, this is pretty wild. Like it was like yeah. a, I, it was like a sadistic smile. Well, I, think, I definitely think out. there's a rush, you know, there's, yeah. you know, he's, uh, you know, the fact that he's able to do these things, he has this equipment, he's, he is playing a little bit too. And he, and I think that rush is kind of getting to him. He'll, he'll say, oh, I was doing it to save Rachel in this particular case, trying to get back to the Batcave, but. Yeah, I mean, how much millions of dollars of damage that you that you cause, <laughs> for, you know, guys in the cop cars. I mean, yeah, he's, I didn't have time to, to obey the rules of the road, Alfred. And that's Alfred just wouldn't have it. Yeah, just so like, just, no, just you, drive across a roof instead. You, you can't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll just drive on the roof and, and all the all the tiles are coming off the roof. I mean, the amount of destruction and then and then the train scene at the end, the amount of destruction, because that train just derailed fell into like the ground or whatever. And then the pillars went into the, you know, that this was kind of, you know, I, I think this is where David S. Goyer, the screenwriter came in because you would see this times 50 in man of steel, just the, what, what they call disaster porn, just the, the amount of destruction that happened. 
uh, was over the top in Man of Steel. And I think this is kind of a little bit of a precursor of, of just this, man, you know, and they've kind of pulled away from it. A lot of the movies of we don't need this over the top, you know, because people just don't want to see that. But yeah, Batman had its fair share of, of Gotham really getting racked up. Well, this uh, th- that was the one thing when I first saw the movie in the theater. That was the one, the probably the thing that uh, was off-putting. Because up to this point, the movie is so grounded in reality that the third, that last act of the film, to me, yeah, it, it kind of felt like a, well, I'm watching just another comic book movie, you know, because it was so, you know, we they finally went there where he's like hanging off the bottom of the train yeah. and, you know, and the whole thing, you know, so of course it had to be done, I suppose, you know, to get the, get the job done, but it's just, yeah, to me, it's, you know, upon repeated viewings, I got, you get used to it, but, yeah. uh, but if there, you know. if there's a, if there's a train derailing, I want to see Harrison Ford jumping out of it in his That's jail, right. in his That's jail right. jumpsuit. <laughs> Without breaking any bones. <laughs> uh, Why our pair is going to take it over? But the destruction, um, so, the destruction yeah. of Gotham is, is something that they just keep talking about. Like in the next three, you wonder, Nolan just had that in his head, I think. Because for all three of his films, the villain wanted to just bring anarchy and destruction to Gotham City yep. and destroy it, you know? Yeah, so definitely a running it, theme. It, I think it has you have to have that as a final act. Um, but yeah, it is a little dis because dis- he's trying to save the city, and yet to do so, you, you're creating more mayhem and destruction. And how many col- how much collateral damage was probably involved in that? You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. good thing he's anonymous. <laughs> so, so he he basically he you know he say he saves everything in between we missed a, a plot point where his his Wayne, Wayne man you know Wayne Manor was burnt also and he had foreshadowed that in an earlier scene with uh, when he was younger with uh with Alfred he said if I had my way I'd pull this down brick for brick um it actually does get burnt down but now he's looking at it from a different standpoint is I want to rebuild it before he was angry. He didn't want the Wayne legacy hanging over him. Now he's, what are we going to do? We're going to rebuild this thing as it was. Cause he understands the legacy and understands how important it is and, and what the ties to Gotham are. And he's like, we're going to, we're going to build it exactly as it was. Make yeah. some improvements. And Alfred is like, with oh. some changes. So like you said, the... Alfred's got these ideas already. It's not just that he's just like obedient servant doing what he's in you know, on his boss is telling him to do. I think you're right. He's had this background, this secret service, you know, military kind of thing. Um, and, and probably something that maybe Thomas Wayne has been thinking about, too, of, of things to do. And so, yeah, he's totally all those changes to, to Wayne Manor is not just. Bruce Wayne that came up with those ideas. It's Alfred as well. Yeah. Im- improvements to the Southeast corner. <laughs> and, and the great thing about the sequel, about the second film is that the, the Wayne Manor still isn't built yet. So they're, they're using like underneath, I think Wayne enterprises as like the back cave. So I kind of yeah. like that, that, that Rome wasn't built in a day. Like all of a sudden in the next movie, it's built, it's back, right. it's brand it's new. The it's continuity fresh. is there. Yeah. yeah it, it's yeah. kind of like, they're still, it's still in the construction phase and that gave them a different opportunity too to work with something. So yeah, just a brilliant care and, and, and really being smart and and learning, I think, the lessons of the previous Batman films, of learning about uh, – I, I don't know if Spider-Man 3 had come out by this point. I should have checked that um, because that was another one that really jumped the shark. And, and you see as these – you know, X, X-Men did it with with the third X-Men film. They got, mm-hmm. they got so corny that – bringing Christopher Nolan in kind of, I think was a, was a forerunner to like John Favreau and Iron Man and, and the yeah. care that they would take 
with with the franchise as right. well. And, and even though even though the MCU is much more obviously comic booky, I think it has its roots and grounded in in these in this Batman trilogy. No, you're right. I mean, <laughs> you you mentioned it before. The X Men kind of was a factor, and I, but I think this one is really inspired. And, and John Favreau is a great director too. I, I would love to see him kind of take any of these geeky characters and see what he can do with it. He did such a great job with Iron Man and uh, definitely has a lot of uh, influence from, from Batman Begins and the Batman trilogy. Yeah. A lot of filmmakers cite, cite Batman Begins as, as a, as an inspiration for filmmaking. I mean, it was just a lot there, just a, you know, the, the golden tone of the film too. It, and sometimes it's almost close to sepia because the golds and the browns are so deep in Gotham. And I think that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not even sure what it means is it means that that's, it's the golden city. I don't know what it means, but the warm tones also that they had used and, and the, the filmmakers touch that Tim Burton doesn't have. Tim Burton again has the style Christopher Nolan had these beautiful wide shots of of the city and some sweeping, you know, sweeping action scenes, you know, especially when when he was training in, with Ducard and that whole scene on the ice, um, mm-hmm. you know, widening out when you need to and getting in and claustrophobic and chaotic when you need to as well. Not just kind of shooting everything the same way, but but having that intent uh, for what each scene is going to portray, even action scenes. They didn't have they don't have to be the same. And they and they weren't. They all had you know, a different feeling for what they were trying to convey. So it was all um, the emphasis was always about building character though. Yeah. The character over everything else, even as epic as the movie looked, these, these on location shoots and, and that kind of thing, but it was always about the character. And then of course that, that's the thing about Marvel too, that, that, that's that carried over from these, that's the major influence I think is because they yeah. care about their characters. Yeah. And then you don't have anything to, else. Yeah. And know, then with the next so. films, you can kind of move on from it, you know, yeah. with, with the original Batman, the Burton ones, like, in the third one with Val Kilmer, they kind of revisited. He was having visions, the bat, the parents, you know, they kind of, kind of had a call back to that with, with this, they spent the first hour just kind of building, setting the, setting the scene because a lot of people had never gotten the whole experience of what the origin story was. And they were able to backfill it with, with Thomas Wayne being a doctor and he's caring and, you know, comes down, you know, comes down the well and helps him up. I mean, you get a little feeling for the home, for his home life, how, how he was kind of a happy kid before this Mm -hmm. happened. And this is all about overcoming fear. Fear is the main theme of this one. I think chaos is the main theme of Dark Knight. And I don't really know what the third, I think it's pain. Redemption. Pain or, or Re- anarchy. Redemption. The dark, the the dark Knight rises. He rises. <laughs> like the sun. But there's like these one he rises word, like, like a nuclear explosion at the is, end. It's really, <laughs> I, I usually don't like when they kind of revisit especially a character like Batman who's been around so long, everybody knows how he became Batman. So sometimes I'm like, why do we need to have another origin story? Just jump right into the action like a James Bond film, right? Mm-hmm. But this worked because it's setting up all those things about fear and everything, all, all the scenes with Alfred and Jim Gordon. It's building up. And so that that's what great character scenes are all about without slowing down the pace of the movie either. You know, it's just like, you really feel what Alfred is contributing and you really feel what that bond is between Jim Gordon and Batman. It's going to get tested in the later, in the later films. You, yeah. you need that. So in this case, yeah, I think it's, all, it's all about motivation. Really that, that's the thing in the, in this film in, in Batman, that all you ever hear about Batman is the parents were killed and he became a vigilante. Great. Batman Begins really gives you the motivation though. And it gives you the actions that he took that would also lead him to, 
figure out that maybe he needs to look at a, a different way of, of handling this too, right? Because he was mm-hmm. going to be a vigilante and that's Batman isn't just a vigilante, mm-hmm. but that's when you narrow down the origin story, Nick, you're right. It's like, okay, it's been done before. How many times do we have to see a spider, you know, bite Peter Parker? We kind of know it unless you're going right. to bring something else to it, to fill it in, which they did in this case, they, they backfilled the first hour Absolutely. of just that whole yep. story and his journey. It wasn't just kind of, you know, he's brooding, his parents get killed, he broods some more, then he becomes Batman. There, there's, there's a journey that he goes on of self-discovery and then comes back and says, I want to do something about it. So you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely this, right. This could I, be the best origin story, I think. You know, what do you think? What do you guys think? I mean, could it, out of all the, right. you know, Spider-Man, yep. you know, I think it's, the, I think it's the most well, like, like you say, Dean, it's like the, you know, they took their time to really explain everything. Spider-Man, they kind of jump, jump into it, you know, yeah. montages, things like, you know, everything's fast paced, but here it's like, they, they really yeah. take the time I, to really develop it. Believe it or not, I, I think know. Man of Steel actually kind of came close because they, they did try, they did try and kind of slow it down a little bit and, and look at the struggles from his, as, as this kid who has these powers, doesn't know what to do with them and, and how does he fit in and, and Kevin Costner, not to this extent, but I think they, they tried to kind of re- kind of have that same that same feeling as well of what you know you mo- understand the motivation how he doesn't feel like he's part of earth but but he is you know um but then after you know the rest of the movie just really kind of got kind of it got a little crazy <laughs> I, know, with, with, I thought donner did yeah. a, such a good job with with his movie yeah. with the origin uh, you know i i have issues with man of steel and, and why they needed to yep. go in, the, in some of the directions that they did i <laughs> yeah i loved a lot of things about it i wrote a whole blog post about it but um it's uh i don't think it needed to be done because donner had already done that i thought yeah. and done it well so like you say if you're not going to contribute anything new why go there whereas in this case with batman begins i thought it, it brought so much that hadn't been there before and i thought it was really well done all right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about let's we'll go once around since there's three of us. Uh, favorite scene in the film, Eric? Why don't you start us off? Probably my favorite scene is yeah when he comes back and the scenes where he's you know gearing up and he's in the cave when he goes splunking and and when the bats come and you know I think that's probably and every scene with Alfred, every scene that his interactions with Alfred, those are my favorite scenes in the film. I, I, I don't really have one specific, but, but every, but every time Alfred, like I said, calls him out on stuff and he mm-hmm. just, when he's going over, going off the rails a little bit, Alfred's always there to pick him back up. And I, I just love that chemistry there. So that, you know, those are, those are my favorite moments. Never. Film. Yeah. Yeah. Never. <laughs> Nick, <laughs> you have a, you have a favorite or, or a couple of favorites. I, I mentioned it earlier. I think it was the slap across the face and you know yeah. your father she hits would be him hard of you and then he goes to, you know he, he goes in to see carmine falcone and he starts laying into him and and you know saying you know who, who are you you know what do you the whole world view thing and he pulls out the gun on him is like i could kill you right now nobody here would say anything um and then he says that line to him about joe chill said to him when they were in prison right he said you know your dad begged for mercy and we all know yeah, that's not true like a because dog. he was there and saw his dad die. And the line, yeah. what did his dad say? He said, "Don't be afraid." His last dying words, "Don't be afraid." Right. So trying to, so that, and then he walks out, takes off his coat, throws his money in the fire, and that's when he goes off and says, "I got to do something. I'm trained to become something different." And, and that's just a great scene right there. That 
character wise, and and, it, and it's also great cinema, right? It's, it's you know all yeah. the gangster tropes and all all these kind of things, and but it, it's just it's a it's a great scene, and um, yeah, and, and Falcone literally lays it out for me. He says you'd have to go a thousand miles. You're the Prince of Gotham. You'd have to go a thousand miles for somebody not to know you. That literally laid the groundwork for him to walk outside. And the great actor Roddy Roddy Sherbegia, who's who's a who's a, a a great actor, who's the, the bum. Yep. I mean, he's a he's an actor yeah. in his own right who's done a lot of major films. That's so right. they're again, top to bottom, back to front, they're stacking they're stacking this, and he's literally got like two lines, but gives gives him the coat, you know, gives gives him his money, throws the wallet into the fire, and disappears. Yeah, disappears into the night. My my favorite, or my favorite sequences, just because it's so creepy. Was after when in the narrows when they mm-hmm. when they activate the weapon and all that all the the water gets gets in you know made into an aerosol and everybody you know and, and Batman is like flying over yeah and the people are like freaking out because the eyes are all like like flame and and he's got like horns and and he, so I mean it would be scary enough just seeing a guy like that but then when these people are dosed with with like the psychotropic thing yeah. and they're looking up and they're seeing him like flying over like devil like with the flame eyes and and everybody's kind of tripping out and when Mark Boone Jr. flasks when he gets dosed and the kids are walking down uh, and, and you see that they're kids, but then you see from his point of view that they're like, they look like zombie-ish and he's, yeah, he's going to, yeah. he's about to blow them away. Yep. Just really cr- like really creepy and well done just to, just to kind of get that, that you really get to see what the effects are of it. Because when you saw it in the beginning with Raza Ghoul, it was more trippy. It was kind of like, like camera E and then you really didn't get to see the effects of it too, too much. When, when Tom Wilkinson got dosed, you just saw that he was crazy afterwards uh, you got a little bit of it when Scarecrow got dosed himself of how Batman had all the stuff coming out of his mouth. Oh, I love and, like, that. Black, I, I, like, wish, I wish he could be you know, like that great. all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know. That like, was cool. No, I was like, nah, that's a, yeah, let's get him. Let's get him back to regular. But that whole scene, the whole scene in the narrows, just because it was so much, so much kind of elements of danger. And then Batman gets overwhelmed by all those people as well. And he, and yeah. he, he grabs for the grappling gun on the ground and, and shoots himself up. So yeah, look at that. We've all got three different, Three different positions on it, which is pretty awesome. So, it's a drama. I mean, I, you know, it, yeah. it's it's less of a superhero film and more of a more of a dramatic film. Again, especially for the first hour, is is just kind of setting up this whole universe, and and it is more of a serious take uh, on it, a superhero film. It does by, teach by, you some things too. They they carefully, you know, Nolan said he made this film. Yes, it's darker, but he didn't go too far. It wasn't bloody. It wasn't that violent in that sense where a 12 year old boy would want to see this film because I would, would have wanted to see this when I was, when yeah. I was 12, you know, I, to, for me, for my, you know, I, I, as much as I like the, the, the Tim Burton, this is the Batman movie I always wanted to see. Cause I always felt it should be more, more realistic and more darker and, you know, a, a different ticket. Yeah. He's just a regular guy. He's not, he doesn't have any superpowers. And like we say, he's like, he's not, I'm glad that he's not like Tony Stark, that he doesn't have the, you know, the, the, the heads, you know, the, the intelligence to make these things, you know, he's got to get them from somewhere, you know, some kind of yep. resources or whatever. But the, the only thing that I will say that I wish they could have played up on a little bit more was the detective ang- angle of it, because he is a great detective that in the comics and, you know, all the iterations, he does do a lot of that. Uh, great detective work so he's like the world's greatest detective that's his that's his super superpower i think mm-hmm. more than more than anything else so and i i wish they could have played up on that a little bit more but so he's too I, busy I, buying he's too busy buying a hotel and swimming 
I think this is the definitive <laughs> Batman movie for me because I just like the look of it. It's dark. <laughs> yeah, Dean. I'm gonna. I got it. I yeah, got I think it. When people think okay, of five the trilogy, seconds late, but I got it. <laughs> they they downplay this one a little bit. Yeah, it's it's very easy for for Heath Ledger and everything that he did to to really overshadow that. It's to really, I mean, it, it's that's become the iconic film in the series. It's the one that people probably will watch without having to watch. I mean, you really don't have to watch this film to watch mm-hmm. that one. Right. Um, and, and it really did overshadow everything Ju- and, and probably justifiably. So even if even if Heath Ledger didn't pass away, it, it was just on a different level. So that's going to do it. Right. That's I think we've yeah. uh, I think we've covered all the bases and, and mm-hmm. we're in the process of rebuilding Wayne Manor ourselves brick by brick. So we have to get moving <laughs> on that because uh, Nick ha- is on shovel duty. I'm I'm going to be laying the bricks and uh, Eric's going to be installing the windows. So we <laughs> that's how it is. All we can get done. So we, we appreciate it. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Uh, Nick Leshy. Thank you. I want everybody check out his pop culture blog, city of kick. We're going to put a link in our show notes and that's at 3324.buzzsprout.com. He's also soon to be seen in the YouTube web series, multiverse corporation, right? That's right. Keep your eyes tuned. Um, I'll probably plug it in my blog as well. A lot of great content. This whole pandemic made us realize all the things we could do when, you know, being more creative, um, low budget, just like, you know, um Christopher Nolan, you know, you don't have to have CGI effects and everything to make something entertaining. So, yeah. Let's see how yeah. that turns and, out. And and Nick is a very very prolific writer and very entertaining, so by all means, please again, I will throw the link uh into the show notes for City of Kick pop culture blog. Uh Nick Leshy, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We appreciate it. It's been great to to catch up with you this way and uh, and great to see you. Uh, via video too for the ones that that uh, watch our video on youtube we post great, these, so. great to meet you nick <laughs> i heard thank a lot you about both. you had a great time so yeah yep awesome so we, we're gonna thank you for for eric and for nick this has been dean thanks for tuning in and we're gonna ask you to please be kind and rewind you've been listening to the 3324 podcast with dean legiro and eric cooper You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 